All right, if you want to grab a seat. We're going to jump back into our conversation about work and Sabbath, Sabbath and work. But to do so, again, let's, let's just take a second to kind of enter into the peace of Sabbath, the rest of Sabbath. Um, I'm going to read for us Psalm 92, the Sabbath psalm, the song of the Sabbath. By, by, by the way, the only psalm in our psalm book that's labeled the Sabbath song, which is pretty interesting, right? Pretty, pretty important that historically of all 150 psalms, of all the psalms that are read every Sabbath, this is the one historically that's been labeled the Sabbath psalm. So if you would, just take a deep breath. Again, just come back into the presence of God's presence with us. If it's helpful, if you want to look down at the ground or close your eyes and let these words just be read to you, you can. Or if you want to follow along, they'll be up on the screen. I know for me sometimes having the words in front of me helps me be present to, to being, being there. And so let me read Psalm 92 as we kind of enter back into a time of talking about Sabbath. So Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. Dullards never notice what you do. Fools never get it. That though the wicked sprout like grass and evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are never full. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And after Easter life, a life born new, not of the flesh but of the spirit, a life that matures into the joy of its design and destiny now and forever is a life lived in the rhythm of Sabbath into work and work into Sabbath. When we find ourselves out of step with this rhythm, this whole and holy cadence, whether missing the day made for us or fighting or maybe even fleeing the created labor of living, we experience existing, that's all it is outside of the rhythm, existing, as a cycle the cyclical wrestling match. And the wrestle, rather than resting, is more than with our, just our daily labors, our daily work. We end up repeatedly, if we're honest, wrestling in and for our souls, in relationships, and purpose, our calling, finding that whatever we fill our schedules with is never quite enough to satisfy much of anything for much time at all. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? Has your life not been a cyclical nature of feeling like you're, you're in the right spot, in the right cadence, and then all of a sudden not. Sometimes it's circumstantially, right? Sometimes we can nail down why, but a lot of times we just wind up back in the place where it feels like we started. Sabbath and work, work in the Sabbath, seems to be the only rhythm 
to truly live with Him. At least, as we've discussed, it's the only rhythm our scriptures continuously call us to enter from the beginning of all things, where all things are good and very good, all the way to the end of things as we know them. From beginning to end, Sabbath into work, work into Sabbath, is life at its wholeness, in its fullness. Last week, we talked about the surprisingly comprehensive, yet profoundly simple understanding that the work of the created beat is whatever we do, with a word or indeed to cultivate a life, to make, manufacture, sustain life with God and others. That's what work is. And if we're to work well, we have to love that for which we work and those with whom we work. Working from our soul in submission to life himself, to the good and very good of his creating and recreating <laughs> in the midst of chaos. Indeed, that's not our kids, is it? Okay, just, I'm just like, man, that was... Our kids got heavy. Um, they grew up real fast. In, indeed, only a soul willfully submitted, only a soul freely given can love in a way that doesn't manipulate or use, or in itself is not manipulated or used. Only a soul, a life lived freely given can be a life happy and blessed. This week, we enter again into the flip side of the whole and holy tempo, the, the Sabbath. And again, Maybe this is just a reminder for you. Maybe this is kind of catching up if you, if you haven't stayed in, in, in the conversation so far. But what we've said about the Sabbath, a day that Jesus says is meant to serve us and us not it, is that the Sabbath first and foremost, first, first and foremost is a day of stopping the striving by resting. The seventh day of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, set the form for us. And the basic command of life free in Exodus, the 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 fourth of the Ten Commandments, rest our hearts to that rhythm. Moses said for God, on God's behalf, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed, made full, whole, happy the Sabbath day and made it holy. Sabbath is a day, it's 24 period, dinner to dinner, feast to feast. We talked about that. Like, no matter what else we describe it, no matter how we describe it as a heart or parts or whatever, scripturally, it's always a, t- a 24-hour period from dinner to dinner, from feast to feast, where we stop working and cease striving after making life in our usual ways. Stop striving after trying to, to control life, get life, to make life be what we think we need it to be or want it to be. However, it's not a day for doing nothing. It is a day to... Do none of the words and deeds that are our usual labor, our six-day efforts to cultivate, manufacture, and sustain life. If we don't forgo those things, even if they're good things, and even if they're, they're worthy things, we'll miss the heart of the Sabbath, and we'll think that, that we're to do nothing physically on that day. Like if we think that either one of two things will happen. If we don't stop our usual labors, like we won't get to Sabbath, or... If all we do is we think we're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, then we'll actually miss the heart of the Sabbath itself. And that's not the intent, right? The intent is to stop striving for life, trying to make life, take life, keep life, and rest in the truth that you're being sought, that you're made, that you're gifted, that life has been given to you and that you are kept. And that is the reality of your life. The reality of life is not what you make of it, but that you're made. 
The reality of life is not what you get out of it, but that you have been given it. The reality of life is not what you can keep under your control, under your abilities, under your skills, or what, even after what you can seek, but rather that you are kept and sought after. Some of the things you might do that day may be physical activities, from taking a walk to gardening. You can do those things on the Sabbath. It's okay. You might even, as we saw Jesus do over and over again on a Sabbath, receive a God-made available gift, grabbing some of the, the wheat and eating it as you go. A recognition that in the moment of need, or a simple need, a hungry belly, God, without plan of me, or thinking, right? Like, I didn't plan this. I didn't set this up. Walking by finds that there's food given for me. Or maybe even, again, as Jesus did over and over again, find that on the Sabbath that you offer to God a God gift of kindness and aid to another. That you actually get to be a part of that person's Sabbathing, receiving from God what he has given to you. Sabbath is not about doing nothing but doing different the things that you normally do and doing them with a more particularized purpose. Which leads us to the kind of the first question of what. What do I do or not do on the Sabbath? Because really that's what we're all asking, right? We've been talking about Sabbath for like a month now and everybody wants to know, what do we do on the Sabbath? What are we not supposed to do, right? The first question you have to ask on the Sabbath, if Sabbath is the day to get us back into rhythm with God, to stop striving and begin to rest, is what do I need to do Maybe the things you don't normally do. Like when you're asking, what do I need to do? Well, maybe it's things I don't normally do. Maybe it's things I don't normally do. Maybe the, it's not my normal quiet time. My, something simple, right? So for me, for instance, like my, my prayer time, reading time on the Sabbath is a completely different, different thing than I'm doing the rest of the week. It's just to mark it a little bit different. I'm still praying and talking to the Lord. I'm still reading the psalm, but it's a different thing. It's a different place, a different thing. It's just, it's just enough off the Monday through Saturday beat that it reminds me it's something different. So maybe it's something you don't, maybe you need to do things you don't normally do. Maybe you don't normally get outside and walk. Maybe you should get outside and walk. Maybe you don't normally not watch TV. Maybe you should not watch TV, right? Maybe you don't, like, that makes sense? Like, again, it's not necessarily that the TV itself is bad or that the, the thing, the, the staying in your home is bad or the reading your, your devotional or your whatever it is that you're doing is bad. It's just you have to mark this day as different. So what are the things you need to do? Again, maybe not the normal things. What are the things you don't need to do? Maybe not your usual things. So if you're usually, if you wake up, and even to control your day, and I think some of us do this too, right? Like, not just in our, um, in our vocation sense, in the sense of what we do for work, like some of that is habits, right? You get up, you check your email, you can stop doing all those kind of things, right? That's kind of helpful. But sometimes the normal things we do on a Sabbath or on like the day that we Sabbath are like, again, like the things that we do to engage God or to be with others. Nothing is different on the day. There's just nothing unique about it. But that's what holy means. It's set apart, right? There's something distinct about this day. So what makes this day distinct? That's the first kind of question. How, what do you need to do and not do so that you can rest with God in his finished work? To make this day distinct in the fact that it is done, it is finished, and God is with you, right? How can this day be different? Living rather than working to live. A day in worship rather than a moment of worship. A day of delight in life with God and others, rather than a day of striving after life with God and others. The first question might not be enough to get you to the heart of the Sabbath, at least in detail. The first question might be like where we tend to start making a list of things, 
and we start to, to outline all this stuff, and then we try to implement it. But I, my hope is, and I think what Scripture gives us, is a way to kind of drill in deeper to that question and give us some more particulars, ways to help feed our soul, um, even as we go into Sabbath, and ways to help us, if you remember the pastoral note from a couple weeks ago, keep the heart of Sabbath and not just wind up like Pharisees, right? getting all the rules, all the do's and don't do's, but missing the heart of the thing that we're, that we're after, right? Striving hard to work for Sabbath rather than letting Sabbath be a gift, gift to us. So my hope is that as we kind of keep talking about this, you'll see this kind of movement down d- into deeper questions to help you get even more specific about the things you should do and not do to rest with God. So if Sabbath, first and foremost, is about keeping us in rhythm with God's good design and sure destiny of being holy, who we are made to be with others, then the Sabbath day is stopping striving by resting so that we can do that very thing, be whole with God and others in creation. Sabbath is a day to be whole with God and ourselves, to be whole with others and with creation, to be in this place of shalom. At the heart of the seventh day's design was enjoying the completeness, the wholeness of what we already are a part of. That's what we saw in Leviticus 23, remember? Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, committed rest, committed giving rest, a holy convocation, a sacred assembly, being together in an assembled way, a set-apart, special way of being with others. You shall do no work, for wherever you are is a Sabbath to God. God's good word to his new-to-life, renewed children. Remember, this is the right before. They're like learning how. Like they've, been, they've been rescued. Now they're trying, they're, they're trying to figure out how do we live free. God gives them the Sabbath in a way that tells us Sabbath is not about separation, but about communion. The heart of the Sabbath is not about separation, just being apart from all the things you do and don't do, but rather about communion. It is setting apart to be with, a holy convocation, a sacred assembly with others that grounds us in the gospel. You remember the gospel? This is what Jesus says the gospel is. This is what Jesus says the good news is. That the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That God is for us and with us. And that's now. Not in the future, but now. Not maybe someday, but now. That your life is lived under the rule and presence and love and majesty and might and compassion of God. We say later, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. If you still think this is just an idea, he's like, no, no. The, you're gonna, you can look for signs everywhere, but you miss the fact that it's right here. Right here with you. The Sabbath is a day to live in that reality. To, be, to delight in, cherish, relish, being in the kingdom of God now, even if not yet completely. And to do so with those people and things closest to you. Wherever you are, isn't just a general statement. It's saying, no, look, wherever you happen to be in this moment, with those people around you, in the place that you are in, in this life, is a Sabbath to the Lord, Sabbath to God. It's not something you have to go out and try to find. It's something that can be experienced and lived right in the midst of where you are with those, maybe even those people you don't necessarily, wouldn't always choose, right? But it's there with them. So as we've said, these are the questions of what is Sabbath keeping that come out of this idea of Sabbath being, a, uh, being whole, about wholeness, completeness, communion. What are the things you do or don't do that cause you to miss out on the good 
or overlook the very good relationships that you have? What are the things you do or don't do that cause you to miss out, maybe cause confusion or conflict within the relationships that you have, that overlook the relationships that you have with the people around you and the place that you're at? Maybe that can be anything from like work, like your relationship with work. What are the things you do or don't do that cause work to be a place of confusion or conflict? Maybe even in your own soul. Or maybe it's in your efforts because you're turning on a laptop or because you're not able to disconnect from it. How can you disconnect from it, right? On the reverse side, how can you actually connect to those who are around you? What are the things you need to do to connect with those around you? What are the things you need to do or not do that allow you the space to delight in, cherish, and strengthen your very good relationships? I mean, just think about that. If, if Sabbath, if the kind of the overarching deal of Sabbath is not doing certain things so that you can, you can rest, what are the things that you do? Well, it's all, how do, it's all about how you relate to the to things around you, right? How are you relating to the things around you? Not just the actions that you're taking. Again, this is, I think, where the Pharisees missed it, right? Like, why does Jesus preach in Matthew 5, the, the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, where he's like, you've heard it said, but I say, and everything he says is related, it's relational. Everywhere they missed it is how they're relating to one another, to God, and to those around them. Both those that they want to be around and those they don't want to be around. So if we're to Sabbath and we're to be whole and holy with those in a, in a, on this day, if we're to try to live well in this day, then how are we thinking about the things that we do and don't do in regards to our relationships? How are we, what are we doing or not doing that's causing conflict, confusion, or o- make, causing us to overlook our good relationships? What are the things that we could do that we're not doing or are already doing that we need to do more of that allow us the space to delight in, cherish, and strengthen our good relationships? And so we've kind of got this overarching question. kind of leads us back down into relationships. But I think there's even one more layer we can go down into to help us get real particular about what we do and don't do on Sabbath. How we actually keep a Sabbath and can help each other, encourage each other to keep a Sabbath. So if if the Sabbath is a day to stop the usual, to be whole, it also is, by all accounts in our scripture, the means and method of being free through resisting the things that bind us. Sabbath is a day to resist as an act of freedom. Because we are free, we can resist. Sabbath's reinstitution. So Sabbath was given to us in creation. You've got this whole story that happens between, uh, obviously, Genesis 2 and Exodus 1, right? There's a whole bunch of stuff happens in earth. We don't really hear about the Sabbath in the same way again until after the freeing of, of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. In chapter 15 of Exodus, there's this movement of God's people out of bondage through the parting of the Red Sea, right? And then in, in, ver, in chapter 14, I guess, in chapter 15, there's a song. Chapter 16, is you begin to get God talking with the people of here. We go, we're traveling on this road to my presence, to the temple, to the mountain of Sinai, and where you're going to kind of establish you and what it looks like to be my people. So God's reinstitution, its formal formation, Sabbath's formal formation comes to God's people at the first moments of their freedom from bondage. Their first moments from slavery in a system of living, a a system of work and worship, a system of community and civilization, a system of economics and ecology that was for the good of some, for a few, but not for the very good of all. 
It was a system not submitted to something more than itself, which is just like the system we live in, right? At this point, between the recent experience of bondage, remember this, the recent experience of bondage, all they've known for 400 years is bondage in some sort of way. There's, at the beginning, there was, it was more relating to Egypt in a good way, but eventually it became this bondage, and everybody at this point would have only known bondage. At the same time, there's this, this very lively promise of hope of freedom full and forever, right? The gods overcome all the things that bind them. Egypt, he's given them a promise of a promised land that they're leaving their bondage and going into freedom. But they're kind of in between these two places. They're in between the experiences that they know of bondage and the hopes and the dreams that they have of freedom, but none of the real experience of it, only in like dramatic fashion, right? So God's people, you could say, are already free, right? They're free. God's rescued them. He's moved them across the waters, all the pain, but they're not fully formed. Their vision of life with God and with others is still just that, a vision. It's nothing they can taste and see. It's not an actual experience for them. They're free because God has demonstrated he is for them. They're free because God is, not going, is now going with them, providing them all that they need from day-to-day life. And that's where we see in the story of Exodus 16, having crossed the dried sea, the nation is in the desert, and, um, and life and freedom, as they now are discovering, is not immediately as they dreamed of. So in some ways, maybe like you and I, in the dramatic rescue, like they expected on the other side of the dramatic rescue, Eden. It was there. Peace. Shalom. The garden was here already, right? Like, I mean, that wouldn't be crazy, would it? To have seen God do the ten plagues, to have seen your enemies physically, like, like overcome without any physical confrontation, to see a sea open and walk on dry land. Like, it's not crazy to think that the next phase of your life would not be a desert, but would be a paradise, Right? But how often is our life, after dramatic rescue, more like the desert than the paradise? We're, we haven't come that far. But God's response, so here's what they do. You probably have never done this, but here's what God's people do. When they get through and they see that life and freedom is not as they dreamed, when it's living is actually hard, and living in freedom is actually hard, they complain. They grumble. They grumble to their leaders, they grumble to themselves, they grumble to their, their friends, they grumble to God. They just kind of grumble. They, they complain. Now, here's the thing. God's response to their grumbling is neither a swift kick in the rear, like when my kids grumble. Stop it! Quit it! It's just, you don't know how good you have it, right? That's not God's response. But his response is neither a quick kick, nor is it a speedy rescue. He doesn't just whoop in and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I hate that for you. Let me get you out of that. Let me, let me do the dishes for you. Let me like, separate your laundry for you. Um, not that that happened today. What God does instead is each morning he provided them bread from heaven, manna. In the spot where they were experiencing the pains of freedom, the disillusion of freedom, they get the bread from heaven, manna, in order to silence their stomach so that their hearts could trust him, is what our scriptures say. He gives them a way to silence their stomachs, the thing that feels like it's complaining, right? 
thing that, that you can hear grumbling in order that their hearts may actually trust. But here's the thing. The manna was only good for the day. Each day they would have to live in faith by only taking enough for that day. Any extra they grabbed out of fear or greed or laziness or pride, control, whatever motivation, would turn moldy and wormy overnight. Except, said God through Moses, on one special day. Here's what it says in Exodus 16, 23. Moses said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. The only day that this is allowed. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink and there were no worms. Moses said, eat it today. For today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather. That's their work. That's their work of living. That's how they lived. Off of God's provision. But it was their labor to get it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none of that. None of your usual labor, your usual gathering, your normal habit. On the seventh day, some of the people went out together. On the seventh day, some of the people got up and did the same thing they do every single other day. Right? Expecting God to provide. Even in faith. They went out to do it. But they found nothing there. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. The Lord has given you the Sabbath. He's given you a day not to have to strive, not to have to work, to be whole, to be given and provided for. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. He multiplies your labors. Remain each of you in this place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And so the Sabbath served the people as a day of ceasing from their usual labors of living to form them in freedom, to keep them from the bondage of fear, anxiety, or lack of tomorrow that caused them to go out and gather more than they needed, right? How often do the things that we do on the Sabbath, do we wake up, how the things that we do every day wake up out of anxiety, out of fear, we strive to have to do more and to keep doing and never stop doing because we don't know that we won't be able to have enough. Whatever enough is. Whether it's physically enough, whether it's spiritually enough, emotionally enough, relationally enough. We're driven not to, re not to stop because we're fearful. Or maybe we're driven to keep going, to keep grabbing after things because we're just greedy. We lust for more. I mean, we live in a world where more is flashed all around us, right? Where everything is about more, having more, doing more, being a part of more. It doesn't have to just be ownership of things. It doesn't have to just be monetary. But maybe it's experiential. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's whatever. What, like there's, there's a feeling in us that we can't rest because we just long for more than we have. We lust after it. We're greedy after it. We don't like to call it greed. But that's what it really is, isn't it? Or maybe it's out of laziness. What, what actually motivates us to not stop and rest with God in God's work to go get a few extra pieces uh, on the day before is a desire not to have to work the next day. So if I can just work, like this sounds weird, right? If I can just work really hard right now in this season, never taking a break, never having a rhythmic stop, then there will be a time where I get to have a long break. 
Nobody may ever guilty of that. Right? It's actually kind of laziness. Right? It's actually a, like a desire not to work, not to do the six days labor, to get out of the rhythm. Sometimes maybe our going out is pride. We just don't want to have to live by faith. We don't stop because, well, like we would rather just actually be able to provide for ourselves. Not have to live by faith. Not have to be dependent that tomorrow I will have enough. Or that what I gathered today really was enough for tomorrow. I mean, think about that even in the context of Exodus 16, right? Every other day it turns to mold. But I want to make sure that I'm in control of things and so that what I have the next day isn't moldy and stinky. I don't really want to have faith. I just want to have what God gives. That's actually a level of pride. It's like I want to be in control of it. I want to go out and get it. I want to go out and make it. I want to even do the things that God told me to do every day to take advantage of like the life, he's, the life of faith and not stop those things and do something different. Because in some ways, it's the way I control my life. On the Sabbath day, they could live free and grow into the fullness of freedom that comes from lives lived, trusting that God is both for them and with them. The resting, the resist, sorry, the resisting as freedom function of the Sabbath is reiterated some 40 years later, just before the people's children formed in the wilderness would enter the promised land. In Deuteronomy 5, it says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Lord says, remember the Sabbath because you were a slave. And no longer you're a slave, you're now free. Remember that you are free. You keep the Sabbath to keep your freedom because you're free. Maybe the idea of Sabbath is something soft in your mind, like a vacation. A disconnect from labor into leisure. That lets us escape from the fantasy, through the fantasy, the difficulties of, of daily living. That somehow if we could just have a day where we, where we just check out, like, completely, that it's just, it's, it's almost like Sabbath becomes an escape. But how could we think that after seeing when and where the Sabbath enters the life of God's people? The Sabbath isn't an escape from life. It's actually an entering into the real rhythm of life. How life really is. It's not just a day to disconnect into some ethereal, floating, kind of different reality. It's actually a day to be grounded in the depths of reality. Sabbath is a day to delight in. A day to, to find depth of being and substance. And I think in our Sabbath keeping, we will find a holy leisure. Or at least we should. I think that's the intention of Scripture. But that is because the Sabbath is a means of resistance of resisting all that binds us, fear, greed, laziness, pride, and the like, because we are free, and as a means of becoming and maturing to be formed wholly into our free selves. So the question is, what do I need to resist on the Sabbath? Not just how am I, what am I doing and not doing on the Sabbath, not just how am I relating to others on the Sabbath, but in my relationships, what do I need to resist? What are the enemies and assailants of God, my soul, and my relationships that cloud my ability to see the workings of God with me, within me, with and within those around me, that keep me from living free by the Spirit, that keep me from maturing into the freedom of life with God and others, 
They keep me striving after life rather than living by faith. What do I need to resist as Sabbath keeping? And here's where I think it gets real particular. What we need to resist can come in several forms. Fear, greed, lust, laziness, and pride can all manifest in attitudes that we need to resist. Have you ever thought about resisting attitudes on the Sabbath? This is, this is something that's only over, over time become more, uh, more of what my resistance has to like, take part in. I think I've figured out in a good way of resisting labor, but resisting attitudes has been something I've, I'm still growing in and maturing towards. Maybe the attitude you need to resist is control or expectations, like a parent has on a child. Like maybe, like in our house, like Saturday's the day where you don't have to pick up. There's a reason. Every other day we got to pick up, but Saturday we don't. And what's the attitude? Why do, I, why do I pick up every day? Because it's good to pick up every day. Why do I not pick up on Saturday? Because it reminds me that life is fun and free in Jesus. That I want, it's good to be a child whose life isn't all just responsibility, but who gets to be under the care of someone who loves them. And we'll make sure that things don't burn down. Right? Like, it's just, it's an attitude thing. What may be what needs to be resisted on the Sabbath is frustrations, hate, or bitterness towards a coworker, towards a roommate, towards a spouse. Maybe what needs to be resisted is dwelling on the things that are broken in those relationships in a way that causes your heart not to be for the good of the person, but to actually be against the person. Maybe the action on Sabbath is when those thoughts come to mind, you do something explicitly different. Or you do things that keep you from getting to that place where your mind is lost on there. Maybe the attitude that needs to be resisted is the attitude we have towards using things. I mean, if, if we go back into Deuteronomy 15, you would see just before what the verse we read, the, the command that everything under your, in your little purview has a day of rest. Your, your spouse, your kids, your relatives, your, those who work for you, the, your animals, your land, everything gets a rest. Maybe what do we need to resist on the Sabbath is how much we use others and other things. Not just the action of using them, but the attitude we have towards them, right? That things are there to serve me, or things are there to make me happy, or things are there for me to own and consume to use. Maybe it's an attitude that needs to be resisted. Maybe it's an action that needs to be resisted. A subtle habit that keeps you busy or distracted, or shopping. A selfish seeking of entertainment, a refresh of refreshment over relationships. Then maybe some of us think of the idea of Sabbath as just a way and an excuse to get us out of having, having to be with uh, other people. <laughs> maybe, no, again, no, maybe nobody here. Maybe, maybe uh, the idea of Sabbath is a way for you to get to do the thing you really want to do without everybody else in your family. Go golfing, go to the mall, see a movie, whatever. Like anything that's like, hey, I just enjoy the day. Listen, there's nothing wrong with those things. Maybe that's a part of your Sabbath. But if you're doing it to get away from others, you're missing the idea of Sabbath. It's actually counter to the very thing that, that you're after, which is a sacred assembly, being whole with those around you. 
Maybe what, you're, what needs to be resisted are inactions. Maybe what needs to be resisted on the Sabbath is a failing to say no and set boundaries. Maybe it's a fear to invite others into your Sabbath keeping. Maybe it's, a, it's, it's the thing that you need to resist on the Sabbath is telling other people that you're Sabbathing and asking them to hold you to, to do that, to be a part of that, to join you in that. Maybe it's what you need to resist on Sabbath is the laziness and prepper practice for Sabbath keeping. Because let's be honest, six days of labor it requires you to do to Sabbath. It requires some work to Sabbath, right? And so maybe the things that you end up doing are things you just get, didn't get done during the week because you didn't prepare for Sabbath. And so res- maybe at first it means letting those things go, just not doing those things. Like for me, like this week, having like three foot tall grass because I didn't get to the yard in time. So I could do yard work or I could Sabbath. And again, yard work can be an act of Sabbath. It's not for me. It could be for you. But if I were to do yard work on Sabbath, I would have to say no to spending a day with my family and doing things with my family that brought joy and delight and cherishing into our, into our family rhythm. So my grass is going to be by the time I get to mow it next Friday, which it will be next Friday before I get to mow it. It will be about this tall, and it'll take about six hours, and it's going to be awesome. Because I didn't, I didn't get my work done in six days. But the Sabbath is much more important than the six days labor, Right? Maybe the thing, and this is also something I'm learning, maybe the thing that needs to be resisted are the words that we use and the manner of speaking that you use them. Maybe what needs to be resisted on Sabbath is talking to people without an attentiveness of heart to yours or theirs. Again, this happens a lot, especially in relationships, right? Which relationships, like close relationships, whether it be a roommate, a best friend, a spouse, or children and parents. But remember what we looked at in, in, in um, uh, um, blah, 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 Colossians 3, when it talks about the way that we cultivate life, the work that we do. It didn't just say the work that you do in deeds, but it also said words. Words are a way of creating. And so if we don't take our words seriously, then, then we're maybe not Sabbathing. If we let our words be flippant, idle, lazy, frivolous, harsh, it's hard for them to be sacred. And and if you think this sounds weird, this is actually what Isaiah says we need to do if we're going to get back into this rhythm of life with God, participating in life with God. In Isaiah 58, it says, If you honor the Sabbath, not going your own ways, not just doing your own thing, whatever you want to do on the Sabbath, like without regard for God, not pursuing your usual business, the six days labor, or talking idly, which sounds so r- random, doesn't it? It sounds so weird and out of place. Like, but words create. Words create bonds and they create division. Words create peace and they create conflict. Words create depth of relationship and of value or they degrade, right? So what if the thing to resist is using your words without thought? Without, again, an awareness of your heart and the heart of those that you're with. Now, I know we should do that all the time, right? But it's hard when they're in, when in the midst of everything of life, when we're going through all the ups and downs of our daily routines and schedules and to-do lists, but if all those things are gone, maybe we actually have a way and a time to actually do the thing, to practice the thing that we value. Maybe doing that actually forms us so that we're back in the midst of our schedules and our to-dos, our six days labor, we can actually 
they'll use our words attentively. Maybe this is the way we get to learn how to use our words attentively. This is the space where we get to do those things. Listen, whether as an individual or a family communal thing, a societal thing or a cultural thing, the first question that Sabbath being a resistance as freedom has to ask is, what do you need to resist the Sabbath keeping? Again, whether that's for yourself, whether that's for your family, whether that's for like because of societal pressures or cultural pressures or personal individual like makeup, what are the things that you need to resist as an act of freedom? But that's not the only question that Sabbath as resistance causes us to ask. Remember what God says to his people who much later had forgotten the whole and holy rhythm of Sabbath into work, working the Sabbath, who had found themselves generations later so far out of the hoped-for freedom that they could hardly see a way back. That in fact, they actually found themselves physically in exile and again under oppression, enslaved once again. They had forgotten, is what Isaiah says, Isaiah 30, before the promise of 58, says, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. You were unwilling. Not that you just, like, you fell at it. Somehow you got the, the arithmetic wrong. You did, you did the wrong things on the day. No, you just were unwilling to enter into rest, to let quietness and trust be your strength. The unwillingness persisted even when they returned to the ritual of Sabbath keeping, but not its heart. That's what we see in Jesus' day. That they continued to, the Pharisees continued to resist the heart of Sabbath, even in trying to keep the Sabbath. They resisted the heart of God God being for them and God being with them, even as they tried to keep all the rules. And so the author of Hebrews, because Jesus is with us, because the gospel is true, because he's our advocate who knows our weaknesses and who still makes way for us to enter into life with God and others today, whole and holy, who's ever inviting us into the presence of God to receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need, just as our faith family in Exodus 16 experienced. The author of Hebrews says this, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Therefore strive to enter that rest. Listen, just because generations have missed out on it doesn't mean you have to miss out on it. Remember, what was started back then is still happening now through Jesus. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen, only in opening ourselves to the living word can we live free from the things that divide our souls and spirits. They divide the depth of our being from the life we hope to live. Only the living word can can show us our hearts. Just as we did, just as last week we talked about like loving the things that we do. The only way for us to really enter the rest is to to know where our hearts are divided. Know what to resist. We have to know what keeps us resisting the Sabbath. Where our souls and our spirits are disaligned where our hearts are not after the thing that our voices and even our actions say that we're after. And so if we're to ask ourselves what we do need to resist on the, to, as Sabbath keeping, we have to ask ourselves why we actually resist keeping the Sabbath. Like if we, if we assume that Sabbath is a resistance, that it is an act of freedom, 
then two things are true. It means, one, that, that there's something that's going against the Sabbath around us. That we live in a time and place where Sabbath is not normal, not looked upon, not valued. It tries to draw us out of it. That's been true in all of history. But it also means something inside of our hearts we're supposed to keep. It's something that keeps us from entering into it. Just as it did our faith family years and years ago, right? That even though we have it and we know it, and we can even say we believe it, there's something in us that resists it. So if we're going to really enter into Sabbath, we have to ask, why do I resist Sabbath? What keeps me from entering into the rest of God with others? Is it fear of missing out? Is it the ignorance of what it is? Is it doubt that it's actually how God made it to be? Is it greed, a, a lust, or an ingratitude for what we have? Or the lust for more, an ingratitude for what we have? Is it laziness, a half-heartedness, an apathy, an atrophy of like our desire for, for life in God as God designed it? Is it pride? Is it just a sense of lack of control that comes on a day of rest? Most likely, if we're true and honest, what keeps us from Sabbathing is a divided heart. A soul not wholly given over to the one who knows us and through whom we're known. But that's why we have Jesus, the great high priest who knows those things and invites us over and over again to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. And so for a couple minutes, we've just got a couple minutes left. I'm sorry I went so long today. I want us to just have a moment to reflect on at least that first question, the last first question. In what ways do I resist the Sabbath? So let me do this. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to have about just about three or so minutes of quiet. Just ask the Lord, is there anything in me, in my heart right now, that's resisting your invitation to rest? Is there anything in my heart, in my life, in me right now that is resisting your invitation to rest? Let the Spirit lead you and guide you. Maybe there's not. But if there is, just give it back to Him. Hand it over to Him. Confess those things to Him. And receive what, the again, the author of Hebrews tells us. Grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy of the one who's longing for you to have what it is that your heart desires. Life whole and holy in him. So close your eyes. Take a deep breath. I'll pray and then be quiet. Holy Spirit, you know us, you formed us, you've been with us every day in every way. So search us, know our hearts, examine us, and see if there's any resistance in us to your invitation to rest. Give us the courage to hear and to respond, Lord, with gratitude for the work of Jesus that overcomes even our resistance. It's in his name we pray.